Are you suggesting that was not gold content that is going in the podcast, John? No. But I am going to say that that was the 25th episode of the Octothought Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 25th episode of Octothought the podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. This is the episode for the 18th of February 2021 and I'm John Coxon. And I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. Hello everyone, it's John here just interjecting very quickly to tell you all that this weekend, Saturday the 20th of February, is PicoCon 38 which has gone online and is called Automata. There are details in the show notes, and the guests of honour are Jeffrey Somers, Dan Moran, S.J. Kincaid, and Brian David Johnson. I'll be there, as I believe will Allison, and so we might see you in the bar. Now, back to the episode. And we are recording this on Valentine's Day. I love you both. <laughs> love you both. I better say I love you both, or it's going to sound weird if I didn't say it, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> And we've also had some letters of comment. We have lots. Um, no, no, locks. I pronounce locks. Locks. Yeah. Bridget Bradshaw writes to say that um, she used to log all her films on Letterboxd and she thought she had only kind of fallen off the wagon in the last year and then she went on her Letterboxd account and it's actually been since 2016. So she's back on the wagon. Yes, I too am on the wagon. I have been logging my 2021 film watching, which is the vast majority of which has been genre, um, but there's been some comedies. Um, so if anyone wants to follow me watching uh, Best Dramatic Presentation eligible films, then I am uh, John Coxon in a fit of imagination. And I am Bohemian Coast. Yes, and Liz is... Not on Letterboxd. What? Great. Do you watch movies? They don't have films in Thailand. We, we have films in Thailand. I can, in fact, go out to the cinema and watch a film right now. Um, I think... Uh, and we do have films, but I, I just don't tend to log them. I think logging books is about as far as I can get. And really, I don't want something that logs just movies. I would like something that just logs like all TV I watch and all movies. Ah, if you want that, then um, you want a service called Tract, which is T-R-A-K-T dot TV. Um, but in effect, you don't want it because logging all the TV you watch is incredibly tedious um, and takes ages. I used to log the TV I watched, but you watch so much TV that you watch way more programs of tv than you do movies or books and so logging all your tv just like very quickly becomes this never-ending grinding tedious thing whereas the other two i feel less so i need to say at this point that when john says you in this context he means john i mean i watch maybe seven episodes of tv a week but that is still far more than i watch than i watch movies or read books and i suspect that's true for most people unless you're a very quick reader or unless you almost exclusively watch movies. To be fair, Hispania might watch more movies than she does TV episodes, but I think Hispania is at the edge of the bell curve in that. If you are somebody who prioritises movies and books because you tend to think that a lot of TV is extruded entertainment product, yeah. That. When I say log my TV, I don't necessarily want to log every single thing. What I want to be able to say is like, oh, I finished watching The Expanse Season 5, log that whole thing. Ah, no, that is not... No, Track does it episode by episode. Yeah, no, I don't want that. I'm, I may want episode by episode. This is complicated. The, I think TV tracking, um, people can write to us about this. I think t TV tracking is interesting because you kind of want to log 
that you've started watching a series and you want to log when you finish watching a series and you don't necessarily want to log that you gave up on a series at episode seven of season two because it really wasn't going anywhere and there are 19 seasons of it and life is too short. Yes. Um, so, listeners, it has taken us less than five minutes to get catastrophically off topic today. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. It's almost entirely my fault, uh, for which I apologise. Uh, Bridget also mentions the Boscombe Fan Fund auction, and we're going to mention that later, listeners. This is foreshadowing, which is a thing they do in TV and movies and books, and maybe other media. Next lock is from Chris Garcia. Um, he titled his email lock on the episode whose number I've forgotten, but context should reveal it in due time. So it was 24, Chris, just so you know. So Chris writes another strong episode that made me listen with only two of the sound sources going. So clearly what we have to aspire to is that one day Chris will give us half an hour of complete attention and we will have attained Vanish Nirvana. I, I thought this was a very revealing lock. Because I think it is true that people believe their ability to multitask is much better than it actually is. And while I think most people can listen to a podcast whilst also doing a thing that is using a different part of their brain, like, I don't know, knitting or walking or whatever. Or being Chris Garcia. I am not convinced that you can listen to multiple sound sources at once and get full benefit from all of them. And I think that Chris might kidding himself and i i feel that i would be interested in other people's views on this i think that if anyone can do it christopher j garcia esquire is the man i think if chris really was listening to two other things at the same time and still managed to write a lot which basically covers everything we covered in the last episode then i'm pretty impressed go for it chris he's a clearly a wizard mm. but we knew this also, you say you have a friend who runs a serial podcast party. That is another fun concept. Please write to us about how a serial podcast party works. And indeed, anyone else running weird format parties, please write to us about how they work. Um, and, and by write to us, I think we mean invite us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yep. Chris also mentions his um, nominations for uh, Best Dramatic Longform, which are going to be Welcome to Night Vale, Palm Springs, The Mandalorian, and Wonder Woman 1984. I think we mentioned Palm Springs and Wonder Woman last episode, um, but I don't think we mentioned The Mandalorian as a contender for Longform. Um, so thank you for mentioning that, Chris. But I think it clearly is, and I'm interested by the reference to Welcome to Night Vale, which is something that I started listening to and concluded was not moving interestingly or excitingly enough for me but people do seem to like it quite a lot it has a lot of fans it does the vast of night which i'll talk about later has a lot in common with welcome tonight mark Plummer wrote to us um that to say that we should extract the soundbite of liz saying jesus at forty nine thirty three or thereabouts for future use and he says he's sure that we can monetize it he could use it two or three times in every work conference call. So Liz has a huge and sparkling future as a voiceoverer. You know how you can like pay a fiver and someone will bring a goat to your Zoom call? What? Okay, have you, have you not seen that? Oh, hang on. No, this was on the news quiz, wasn't it? Yes. No, okay, yes. But explain for the listeners who are not familiar. There's a farm and you can pay them a fiver and they will bring a goat to a Zoom call for you like to liven up your weekly Zoom calls or whatever. If anyone would like to pay me to turn up to their Zoom call, just like log in and say, Jesus, and then leave. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Mark also sends us some statistics. I like this. I'm going to mention statistics that I would like to see, try and think of one for every episode, and then Mark will magically do the work for me. This is the sort of listenership I like. Now that you've revealed that that's your strategy, Liz, it might backfire. (laughs) In return for this, I will turn up to your Zoom calls. Brilliant. Mark has run numbers for us. Of those numbers, 4,624 members, as per the long list, including attending, supporting, and to some degree a day members. I'm not sure I can see them had day members, but I might be wrong about that. Including some members who don't have voting rights because they joined too late. I would I would say that um, my experience of virtual conventions is that a lot of people, this is me, not Mark, a lot of people join right up to the last minute um, for online conventions um, and I assume that those people will generically not have voting rights so that might be quite a large number two of those 2,221 people voted in at least one Hugo category which is slightly less than half and the most votes in any category was 1,873 for best novel so of the people who voted about 80% voted for best novel for Dublin Those numbers were 8,430 members, of whom 3,097 voted in the Hugo, so slightly fewer as a proportion. Most in a category was 2,540 for best dramatic presentation, long again around about 80%. Yeah, and then there are many other examples as well. Did Mark really say I'm off to play Arkham Horror now? There may be a typo in that sentence. Yeah, I presume the typo is, I'm off to play Arkham Horror now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think that's right. I, I I think we so so our target for I think this podcast should have twenty twenty one targets. It's a bit late now, but our target for twenty one twenty one should be to get Claire and Mark to play Arkham Horror with us. <laughs> Mark is less into games than Claire is, so I think um, if I was going to guess which person we would be able to entice more easily, I think I would guess that Claire was more enticeable than Mark. Um, this may spur letters of comment from both disagreeing with my take, but um, but yeah. I feel we may have to leave this one till 2022 and the distant future when we can all gather together and play it in person with some beer. Beer. I think this will be a more appealing prospect than sitting in front of a computer for four hours. And then Claire wrote in, um, she mentions a mistake we made that we're not going to go into. And then um, she also notes that if she started, sh- if, if her and Mark started shuffling all of their Nova awards around for our amusement, the cloud of dust stirred up would make us cough a lot. And that's a bit too worrying at the moment um so yes that is a good point thank you claire for catching a properly embarrassing error and i've said we should say what the error was and john has explained to me why we should not do that (laughs) i'm probably just being paranoid oh and she has also said that everyone should read all of the murder bot diaries which i have taken away as a, a target yes well i've got them um uh i've i've got them on um uh I've got them on order from the library. I believe the third one is on my device now, but we will get onto that in a minute. Um, and Christina writes in to say that she learned a lot from the MassCon panel on podcasting, and um, she sort of talks about some of the stuff she learned about uh, microphones and whatnot. But she does say that she'd like to add that she never said that Lillian laughed laughing very loudly caused problems with editing bad Alison. no i think i might have said that so there we go <laughs> whenever i hear lillian laughing on on the podcast it makes me miss evenings where lillian laughs on my sofa oh, oh. 
Yeah, that's fair. That is very fair. Okay. And my red wine bill is way down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, tell him to cheer up. We don't want a sad red wine bill. (laughs) Fine. Um, (laughs) She says there's one benefit to you having a regular recording schedule, which is she knows when to get her comments in. And that's true because we received this um, yesterday evening. So thank you very much, Christina. Brilliant. And Rosin tweeted at us to say that she's moved her desk into her living room because it's got a nicer view. Um, But she then attached a picture of a cat hogging said desk. uh, And I think that might really be more of the reason. It's a good plan. Having your desk somewhere where there is a cat is always preferable to somewhere where there isn't. Views expressed by John Coxon may not reflect all of the members of the Octothought podcast. They reflect two thirds of the Octothought podcast. Yeah, I understand that I'm an outlier in not wanting furry, furry creatures wandering through my workspace. Oh God, we're going to get so many letters now. I know. I mean, firstly, you've got a son and a husband, and we were listening to your opinions on that earlier. So all I've got is a cat. Much easier to deal with, Alison. My husband is not particularly furry. My son, I will grant you, is pretty bloody furry. I've got a gecko again. Yay! I think it's a different one. I bought some anti-gecko spray. You should tag them. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please quantify how furry is your gecko on a scale of not furry to furry? I think it is very much on the not furry end. You've bought some anti-gecko spray. Look, I mean, okay, so I have not gone to the extent of buying anti-cat spray, okay? Yeah, but do cats regularly enter your house and hide in the skirting boards? Anyway, um, back on topic... Uh, yes, so DC wrote in to DC tweeted to say that the perils of reading while tired. He looked at the info for the last episode and thought it said, "Please let email your letters of contempt." So, if anyone does have any letters of contempt, please send them to this never happens. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, Duncan McGregor tweeted to ask whether we are going to discuss the Weetabix and beans thing. So, for those who don't know. There was some tweets in which Weetabix suggested you could have Weetabix with beans. This is baked beans for our non-British listeners. And then there were a lot of funny follow-ups. And then every British band, every British large brand um, posted. I think it must have been a coordinated effort um, to say, to make some quite funny and some rather less funny jokes tying their brand into the concept of like Specsavers said, let's take our glasses off <laughs> and that sort of thing. They had tweeted the day before about Marmite on Weetabix, but that had not quite that had not quite captured the zeitgeist as effectively. No, that's because Marmite on Weetabix is perfectly normal. Marmite on Weetabix is normal. <laughs> I'm not sure that's it. Marmalade on Weetabix is normal. Baked beans on Weetabix no, is no, normal. I'd, I'd like to just say normal on Weetabix is milk. And everything else is pretty unusual, I would say. No, but but it's not unknown. The the, the, the reason why beans on Weetabix doesn't work is that in, in the time it takes... I've explained this to people and they're kind of like, mm. in the time it takes to heat up beans, you can also make toast. So there's no point using Weetabix as the substrate for your... But when I explained this, people were like, oh, you mean people heat up their beans? So... cold beans (laughs) cold beans on cold Weetabix does make a certain amount of sense but probably only if you've had a certain amount of alcohol which is a lot 
So no, do not do this. Do not send us beans on Weetabix. Yeah, because I would say that the only thing worse than beans on Weetabix is beans in general, or possibly every social media manager in the UK trying to think up a funny comment to make about beans on Weetabix. I've got no sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Weetabix, I have a milkman now. Hello. Because I was like, the problem... So you don't want a cat or a gecko, but milkmen, sons and husbands, they're all fine. And my milkman does not wander furrily through my workspace. Yeah, anyway. Um, right, so on to the topics. <laughs> So, firstly, Alison is at Boscone. I am. It's possible that the reason I've been detached this weekend is that I've been at Boscone, which is using the new Grenadine single sign-on system to run, where you log into Grenadine, which is a very easy... Pro- it's got the kind of password-free login where you, you type your email address in and they send you a link you're logged in. And then it has remembered my login across all weekend on my main device, which has made me very happy because lots of things don't do that. And then you're into everything, and everything in this case consists of a lot of kind of web pages and documents and things, and also zooms for the individual um, program items. So it's kind of hooking into Zoom's API, and that works pretty well. And also chats everywhere. And this is sort of instead of Discord, but it's not been for me working as well as a Discord does because every individual item. And every individual fan table and dealer's table and so on has a chat area. But you can't kind of look at all the chats and go, aha, those are the places where chat is happening. You just have to kind of look at this huge convention and go, I wonder if there's some chat around here. So Henry Balin, if you're listening to this, um, I'm going to I'm going to give you this feedback in a very precise way. Uh, I'm going to wrap it round a brick. And um, I don't think it's as good as Discord, but I think it could be as good as Discord if Grenadine kind of shifted up a gear in this direction. And actually, single sign-on is lovely. It it, it is clearly it is clearly the future, but at the moment it's not quite there yet. Um, but Discord Boscone obviously has its its great Boscone program, and we had a fan funds auction at which we auctioned many things, not including Weetabix, but including a box of rocks which I thought was a very creative use of the United States Postal Service's flat rate boxes, <laughs> which means that you can take buy a box of a given size and for $15 you can fill it with rocks and send it to anywhere in the United States um, and lots of other stuff. And we raised $1,000 for fan funds, including Guff, Taff, Duff and the Otherwise Award, which is the award formerly known as the James Tiptree Jr. Award. And it was a lot of fun. And then I went to a party and that is why I am completely discombobulated this morning as we record. Because I did not get my normal, gentle, peaceful night's sleep before an Octothorpe recording session. I stayed up late and partied instead. Yeah. Is that what you want? Was, was there anything else you wanted to know about Boscone? Yeah. Are they specific rocks or just generic rocks in a box? Um, so I believe that when Jerry sends you a box of kipple um, that you have won in a fan fund auction, she has a discussion with you to ascertain your interests and then she sends you things that align with your interests from her very large collection of of rocks and other things oh i see no that sounds nice it sounded like literally someone was going to go outside scoop up a pile of rubble and ship it to you i suspect some of the rocks are going to be more interesting than others 
So, and the, the Dampfund auction raised $1,000. $1,000. Is that right? Pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Very good. Very mm-hmm. good. And you were able to auction because you have had problems with your voice at real life auction auctions, but you don't have those on a microphone, I'm understanding. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like I, I am going, I am wondering whether I need to. I've asked Eastercon whether we can have a fan funds auction at the Eastercon, and I am going and obviously we'll be able to do it for this but for future Eastercon and for future fan fund auctions I am going to start to say to conventions could you please sort out all of the auctioneers with throat mics as you do have those things at Eastercons these days and I think let's let's actually take care of ourselves in the future because I was yeah it was it was very destructive to my voice no I really used to love auctioning and I had to stop and now I can do it again so that's quite nice and Martine and Gillian helped me and Jerry Sullivan put it all together and Diane Martin um, did all of our back, back of the house accountancy and it was great. We're also running the dead dog for Boscone. So this hasn't happened yet, but but the dead dog party at Bosco will be a FanFuzz party later today. So I will be back partying tonight because I like nothing... I like nothing better than partying in the dead of night with people who are five hours behind me. <laughs> so they're all just get just getting up to having really good fun at the point where I absolutely positively have to go to bed if I'm to get anything done on Monday. Liz will probably be familiar with this. Yes, welcome to my world, Alison. <laughs> but if you're very good, you can get up and party with them again in the morning. Liz can, I can't. <laughs> I think that's the difference between being five hours behind and being seven hours behind, actually. Uh, yeah, it does make a difference, although I think I prefer it when it's six because of the shared daytime hours. And we will we will be six again by the time we get to EasterCon, which will help, I believe, significantly. Anyway, that's not really interesting for podcast. I did not go to BossCon or Capricorn precisely because of these time zone things. Oh, sorry. Oh, God. Can we just redo the entire last segment with Boscone? No, but it's not BossCon either, right? So Liz said Boscon, but it's definitely not Boscon. Is it Boscone? Oh, sorry. Because it's got an E on it. This is why I don't like E's on the end of things. Because I'm like, in, in San Francisco, Moscone Centre is pronounced Moscone. So I assumed Boscone was pronounced Boscone. And then I really thought it's Boscone. But then people say Boscon. And it's like, make sure that your con's called a thing that people can pronounce and spell. Eastercon. Everyone can pronounce and spell it. That's a, that's a plus in branding. I'm telling, I'm telling you. I'm really looking for Yastacone. <laughs> Yastacone. <laughs> Yastacone. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that I have only ever seen the Moscone Centre written down, and so I thought it was the Moscone Centre. So here is part of the problem, right? <laughs> okay, so Boscone is called Boscone because it's a reference to the works of E. Doc Smith. Oh, and he was that old man. Which is why they also award the Skylark Award, which is an award with a very funny story attached to it, which is read out um, at the beginning, which is now read out at the beginning of uh, every Skylark Award ceremony, which was on opposite, which I didn't get a chance to hear yesterday because it was on opposite the Fan Funds auction. But, but, but there is a very funny story about the Skylark Award, which is shaped like a giant lens because it reflects the works of Edo, um, which are, I think, fading into obscurity at this point, And I would have to say rightly so. I think it's a very good example of work that is definitely worth reading if you're interested in the history of science fiction and probably not otherwise worth your time. And fun fact, um, E. Doc Smith got married in Boise, Idaho, which I'm pretty sure is pronounced Boise. Boscone happens in Boston, right? So that's why I was thinking they rhymed, but they don't rhyme. 
it should be called boss gun yeah you're you're 100 percent right that it should rhyme okay and it doesn't uh, okay so here's what how ha- they would have gone oh we're a convention in boston we should call it boss gun and someone has said would have said oh no we should call it boscone and that's that, that would have been very funny at the time when which is about 150 years ago when <laughs> everybody at that convention would have been familiar with the works of E. Doc Smith. But I just, I found it funny that he got married in a town that has a trailing E and if we applied this logic, it would be boys, but it is definitely Boise. Okay, I also didn't know that, so... <laughs> this is the thing with trailing E's. I'm just pronouncing all of America wrong. Um, this is the thing with trailing E's. Trailing E's make things hard to pronounce. They're, they're, and and it's a it's an unforced error. It's a shame. It is the sort. It, both Boscone and Capricorn are the cons where you know I have heard that they are fun and I would have liked to attended them, but the the timing was just not going to work. So I will. They're fun in very different ways. Oh yes, I they they they, they are at the two opposing ends of where traditional science fiction fandom is at the moment. My only rant about it is is this it's not good enough it's not good enough to have chat attached to items and fan table you you have to have somewhere we are still failing at the job of helping see, people see what what all is going on right now yeah what you want is to be able to replicate that feeling of wandering around the con seeing what's going on Eastercon, they've announced they're not using Discord or Zoom. Eastercone. Eastercone have announced that they are not using either Discord or Zoom. Which is quite funny because they are already using Discord. I have some thoughts about this, which I'm going to quickly outline before you two uh, get onto this topic, which is when I was going through um, the punctuation um, surveys that we sent out, which I am currently tidying up for publication, one of the things that was said by someone was that they felt that they had needed to go to punctuation in order to be able to attend punctuation. And one of the things they talked about was they found it all very overwhelming at the time, but at the end of the convention, they were like, oh, if you did this again, I'd know how it worked and I'd be able to do it and it'd be fine. And um, we were aware of that as a problem going into punctuation, which is one of the reasons why we started the Discord early and things like that, to try and mitigate this as best we could. But we were aware that that wasn't going to be enough on its own to mitigate it. So we we were aware that there was going to be an element of this. But I will also say that one of the reasons I personally was excited to run punctuation was because I suspected that this would be true of British fans going to other big British conventions run in a similar way. And so part of why I wanted to run punctuation was to get people used to online convention platforms so that when they got to say a big convention like an EasterCon using these platforms they would be less taken aback and more ready to do it and so we get on to EasterCon not using the same platforms which is fine because I don't think these platforms are perfect and I definitely think there's room for improvement but what I will say is that no platform in the world is so good that you don't have to learn how to use it. There's always some learning curve. And it can be a very shallow learning curve, but it's still there. And so the worry I have is that Isacon is now six weeks away, and they still haven't announced what it is they're using. They haven't announced what platforms it's going to be available on. They haven't announced how we're going to get used to using it. And I'm a little bit worried about that, and I think this is a problem. And I would like to know to what extent you two think I'm being a nervous Nelly. 
I have a point where I start worrying about Easter and the state of the Easter con every year, which is Shrove Tuesday. And, and it's made easy for me because I, the government tells me to eat pancakes. And so I eat pancakes and stop panicking about the Easter con. And that is not till Tuesday. So I've not started panicking yet. But by the time this episode comes out, I will have started panicking. So I think it's okay to already talk about um, panicking. And, and when I eat Weetabix, well, I, <laughs> when you eat Weetabix, <laughs> Damn. Let me try that joke again. And my tradition, of course, is that I eat pancakes on Shrove Tuesdays with fillings such as chicken and Nutella. But <laughs> <laughs> And Weetabix. And Weetabix, yeah. No, I'm not going to eat Weetabix pancakes on Tuesday, but I am going to consider the matter. Did you, did you say t- chicken and Nutella? Yeah, classic chicken mole pancakes, Liz. It's a very basic chicken mole. Sorry, a chicken mole. I'm now wondering if I can make a chicken mole pancake using chicken, using Marks and Spencer's Chucky Chicken and Nutella, and whether that will actually work, which it might. Welcome to the Octothorpe <laughs> podcast, in which we discuss how best to abuse trailing ease on words. <laughs> I think my point, in which I get worried about the Easter con, is probably about like the Tuesday of Easter week, if I'm not otherwise involved. So it's not occurred to me to start being concerned about the Easter con yet. Easter con, you know, this con can stand on its own two feet. But I, I do take John's points. So I think it's two points. One is that they are, yeah, using some other technology, which is not Discord or Zoom based, but is going to be good. This is perfectly possible, but. Um, and it's also possible that since I we last looked round at technologies to use, which I think I last did before punctuation, that a bunch more good technologies have uh, come out that might actually be really great for this kind of thing. Because when we looked at it, a lot of them had, you know, flaws of one kind or another, which meant they were not really suitable for punctuation. So it is possible there's something else great out there, but I do want to know what it is. And I think the other point about a learning curve <clears throat> is very true because. For me, Discord has like almost no learning curve. I logged on to Discord and I was like, oh, it's like a modern IRC. Fine. And, you know, you get on with it and a day later I've I've got the hang of it, apart from working out how I could get like animated emoji or something. But what punctuation made extremely clear was that not everyone not everyone finds it the same. Not everyone um found it straightforward to use and it was quite off putting to some people. So I think you're right in that we do need some lead up to know how things are going to work. And the earlier you get it, the earlier people can start, you know, working out if they can even log in, working out if it breaks on their phone, tablet, you know, Unix box from the 1970s, whatever they might be using to log into it. And the earlier you tell people what you're using, the earlier they can sort of fix all their teething problems. Because whatever platform we're using, I assume there are going to be some teething problems. I just really said what John said, but in more words. Right. So I'm going to say a few things that are different, I think. Um, So one of them is that there is a thread on Joff, which is the journeyman of fandom, um, which is a Facebook group, which we'll link to, where somebody whose name temporarily escapes me asked, hey, guys, what's the state of the art in... I'm paraphrasing here. Hey, guys, what's the state of the art in con running platforms and in the subsequent discussion about a dozen platforms that i had not previously heard of are mentioned so at some point it's probably necessary to go and have a look at what all of those do um 
my experience of Bosco is that the single sign-on is lovely. Um, knowing that there is one place you go and it goes, oh, yes, you're Alison, you're registered. It's great. Love that bit. It's not quite doing what I want it to do for chat, but I feel like that getting the chat working is an easier problem than getting the video conferencing working. So so that, that, that feels quite good. Um, I would like to... I, I, I do think there's a lot further to go in this direction, but I, trying to, making it, making the point where you enter the convention seamless clearly solves a whole big set of problems, um, and I think that's quite nice. Um, and I would like to know what Eastercon's up to, but I'm sure everyone would. And we've been promised a video, which, if we're lucky, might come out before before you see this. So, so that would be good. I. They did have one. They've had one video already, which is a discussion between um, <clears throat> Chair Vanessa May and, I guess, Head of Tech Keith Smith. And they kind of told us how marvelous it would be and that we should all join. But they didn't actually say anything about the technology, apart from that it wasn't Zoom and Discord, which kind of worries people who've been using Dis- <laughs> Zoom and Discord and had kind of got ha- got the hang of that. So, so yeah. So I guess that last bit was yes. I also agree with John. It's going to take time to get people used to this. But there's probably a discussion about this going over in their Discord, which I, I confess I have not been to recently, so I should probably check there. Um, I I asked in the information desk on their Discord kind of when uh, we could expect to hear more about this um, platform. Um, mostly, like, you know, I am I am excited to see what they're doing because if it is something that does let you do things that is better than the Zoom and Discord, then, then that is fabulous. And I am really looking forward to seeing in action um and they they did in that response say that um the next video will have more concrete um details and i think the intention is for that to come out before we release um so so yes hopefully by the time you listen to this we will have found out and um and 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 it will be it will be clear and we can discuss that on the next episode of Octothorpe. it's very nice of them to just you know put these videos out but, you know, if they put the videos out one at a time, then it, it generates lots of content for Octothorpe. So that's very, very nice of them, really. Yes, and we can discuss all of their decisions in detail um, <laughs> and what we think about them, which is, I think, good for everyone. For us. May not be good for everyone. I can hear some little meows. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, Quentin, is, Quentin is pretty convinced that um, people should be playing with him. And so if you hear meowing on the, uh, on the podcast listeners, then um, that, is, that is a very sad cat who is um, resenting the fact that both his, his cat parents are doing Fanac at the moment and not doing Katak. That was Easter Carl, and we've done Bosco, and we've done Bay Beans. So it's on to the Hugos, I think. <laughs> so last episode, I went away from our recording fully convinced that John and Liz had both watched The Vast of Night, which is a low-budget science fiction movie on Amazon Prime that was sele- that got a kind of selection into the... There's a, there's a thing in the Hugos where... Um, where works which are were technically released in the wrong year but only got a very limited distribution get kind of bumped into Hugo um, eligibility through a special 
clause at the business meeting and there were a set of items that this was done for that included the Bast of Night. Um, there is a digression here, which is that I think that the Hugo people who do Hugo things should be thinking about how that can be made automatic so that rather than say we have to have a list of these things, so something has to have been noticed as falling into this category by the time of the Worldcon, um, we can automatically say that something that was only available to a very small proportion of the world's population um, automatically gets a, a second shout if nobody had heard of it until Amazon picked up the distribution for it or that sort of thing. Um, so The Vast of Night got picked up by Amazon Distribution and is available on Amazon Prime and costs $700,000 to make. And as a result, it kind of gets a bit graded on a curve because there are a number of places when you're watching the film where you think if they had had more money, this would be a slightly better film. But I went away thoroughly believing that John and Liz had watched it. So I watched it and then I listened to the um, edited but not quite ready to put out version of Octothorpe and realised that they had not watched it and I was completely wrong about that. So it's a great example of the um, syndrome of false memories or as or Alison not paying attention, as we call it. It's quite a good film. I would not be unhappy to see it on a Hugo ballot. I think it is quite slight. I think it's, although it is obviously a science fiction film, its actual science fiction content is quite small. It is using the trappings of science fiction to tell a story that is not about science fiction. Um, primarily, it is primarily a story about alienation in ways that are not necessarily science fictional and it is a it is well worth watching go and see it um on your amazon if you have amazon prime if not go and watch something else don't get amazon just to watch this movie um yeah agreed i have also watched it since last time um so um and so we have started our hugo um eligible watching um and i am logging them as i mentioned earlier on letterboxd so um so far this year fast night is the only um 2020 sf movie that i've seen i thought it was good i gave it three and a half stars and i gave it a heart we all know what that means it means i liked it listeners uh i will say i think that it is sorry i'm just doing i'm just doing a small visual joke here alison is making a heart with her hands and um, Liz is making a anatomically accurate, anatom anatomically accurate heart with her hands, which I did not know you could do, and is amazing. <laughs> no, I'm doing I'm doing mini hearts with my thumb and forefinger. Mini hearts. I thought you were doing the two chambers with like the no, like no, no, no. pipes coming out and like. None of this works in an audio medium. <laughs> No, it is it is a good shoestring um SF movie. I did not think it was amazing, but I thought it was solid and ultimately solid original SF in the genre of um movies is not something that happens often enough for me to turn my nose up at it when it does happen and is fairly well done. Um I don't think The Vast Night is as good as Palm Springs, which is the other 2020s SF nor movie that I have seen and which I will be enthusiastically nominating. And I am going to watch The Colour Out of Space later this very day. So I will have thoughts about that next time. Um, and yes, Palm <laughs> Springs is coming to Amazon Prime later uh, this year. So if you want to save up your Amazon Prime free trial and use it to watch two Hugo eligible movies both at once, uh, then uh, you might be able to do that. Although I don't know whether Palm Springs comes out in time for nominations. I don't think there's an actual date attached to it yet. 
Um, so what was the other film? Uh, the Colour Out of Space, which is the Nicolas Cage Lovecraft movie, is eligible. It was extended at the business meeting, and so we will be watching that later today. It's supposed to be very good. And what and what streaming service is might we get that one on? I believe that's also on Amazon Prime. I I think, as usual, outside the UK, your mileage may vary, because a lot of stuff which is on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime is on the other service in different countries. Um, and that's all I really have to say because I haven't actually watched The Vast of Night or The Colour Out of Space or Palm Springs. Oh, and I've watched Wonder Woman 84 as well. That's eligible. We haven't watched that either. But we did discuss that last time. We did. I will say, if you, if, also, if you subscribe to Amazon Prime, then you can watch The Expanse, which is also Hugo eligible. Although I don't know if you still have to subscribe to Netflix to watch the earlier seasons if you haven't already caught up on them. Yeah, I have a problem with The Expanse, which is I have to watch five seasons of this, don't I? See previous episodes and, you know, TV. Yes, this is, this is, a, this is a thing we can relitigate until the cows come home. But yeah, I think, I think it is very clear, Alison, that you just don't very much like television, <laughs> which is fine, no, no, but, like, but, but we no, quite like television, but, so but that's what's that's happened with different. The Expanse is that my friends list has been full, and nobody's spoiled, but my friends list has been full of oh my God, the end of the fifth season of The Expanse, oh my God, that's amazing, which I think is, I spoil it, I can't spoil it because I haven't. Um, so clearly there is something about the end of season five that is that has astonished and, and, and amazed everybody. Um, and I'm like, that would be like 60 hours. <laughs> yeah, it would be 60 hours to get to that point. So I can see a problem. Um, I assume the end of C. I send. I blah, I assume the big thing that happens at the end of series five is what I think it is. I have not watched series five. But I have read the books, which is obviously cheating. Oh, oh! So there are books. So I could like read books because that would not be sixty hours. Well, there's nine eight, very large space opera books. Who who wrote them? James S. A. Corey. Who is actually two people, um, and one of them is Daniel Abraham, whose books you may have read. In terms of reading, since last time, I have read The Doors of Eden, which is an Adrian Tchaikovsky book, which is eligible for a Hugo Award, and I enjoyed it. It was a little bit long, um, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I have less patience for long books than some other people, but um, I I still enjoyed it, despite the fact it was quite long. Um, It does take a while to work out what's going on, but in a kind of pleasant, I wonder what's going on sort of a way. Um, So that's quite nice, actually. Um, what else have I read that's eligible? Um, I've read uh, Harrow the Ninth, which is the sequel to Gideon the Ninth. Um, I really enjoyed Harrow the Ninth, but it was not clear to me what on earth was going on until about 70% of the way through the book. And that does seem like quite an adventurous choice, like to have it just really make not a lot of sense for most of it. Uh, and I kind of want to go back and reread it now that I know what was going on. But equally, I've got a lot of other books to read. So... Yeah, but I did enjoy it. I'm not sure it was as good as Gideon the Ninth. I don't know whether it'll end up on the ballot. And I'm currently reading The Ministry for the Future, which makes me very angry in the way that Kim Stanley Robinson does when he is at his best. Um, It's an odd book, but I am enjoying it. I don't know if it'll end up on the ballot um, because it is an odd book, structurally very strange. I would say I do have a soft spot for books that you read and then you know, something happens late on in the book that would put the whole of the beginning in a different perspective. I kind of like books where, you know, you, you there's a value from rereading them because you get something different out of them. 
but you do have to temper that with yeah you can't be completely opaque and mysterious for 70 percent of the book or i am going to be annoyed by the time you reveal things unless it's really really good i mean like i say i did really enjoy it so yeah there is that but uh i don't know your mileage may vary yeah, because I quite enjoyed Gideon the Ninth, but I wasn't completely wowed by it. And so everything I've heard about Harrow the Ninth makes me not want to immediately rush out and read it. That makes sense. Unless I would really like it because it's different than Gideon the Ninth. <laughs> this is getting very complicated. It is different because it's all from the... It's from Harry's a very different point of view character to Gideon, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Anyway, what books have you guys read? Uh, I read uh, The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, um, which had this really interesting premise. So it's set in a world where we have discovered parallel universes and we can travel to the parallel worlds which are closest to our own um, in terms of kind of divergence from our own. But the twist is you can only travel to a world where your like, doppelganger in that world is not alive. And so the people who travel between worlds are essentially... The people who have been most likely to die in their other lives and send it with this kind of interesting setup where, um, you know, there's uh, a rich city and a much poorer town on the outskirts of the city. And it's people from that much poorer town who get pulled in to do the traveling between worlds and because of a lot of their other selves have died. It, it, it does really interesting things about like privilege and how, in fact, the most privileged in this society can't travel between worlds. It goes into a lot of stuff about kind of your other selves that have taken different paths and uh what they could have become and what people become with different opportunities um it took a bit of getting into because it does quite a lot of telling you what's going on at the start i feel but then there's a few sort of little reveals about maybe 25 percent of the way in that had me going oh that's what's going on and then it gets really interesting um and i think it's kind of it's it's a standalone book that is very satisfying ending both in plot terms and also kind of in um kind of in character terms all the characters get to a a point which is really satisfying and interesting so yeah i liked it um it is probably on my hugo ballot at the moment i've still got a lot of other books left to read but i think i will probably nominate that one i am reading a lot of books and only a few of them are genre and none of them hugo eligible and none of the books i've finished in the last two weeks are hugo eligible um I kind of go must do better, but I think probably because I'm reading primarily from the library, I'm never, ever going to be able to read books early enough to nominate them for Hugo. So, uh, yeah, well, I've just in TV terms, I have finished The Queen's Gambit, which is definitely not eligible for (laughs) Hugo. That will probably get some nominations anyway, um, but is based on a book by Walter Tevis, who is, of course, a genre writer or was a genre writer as well, um, and which... uh, like the dig is one of these things that loads and loads of people who are science fiction fans are also watching because it it's kind of genre adjacent in a weird sort of way despite actually having no genre content whatsoever apart from you know chess science fiction fans are interested in chess because it's a game um for those more interested check out shut up and sit down's recent chess month which was very interesting um there's a you can buy expansions for chess though I think it was Steve Jackson Games who wrote an expansion for chess that adds you have a hand of cards and they let you make your pieces do strange things. So that's good. That was the 25th episode of the Octothought podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from moi. And it's goodbye from me. 
you haven't mentioned the letter of comment we received from Baskar, who sent us his uncensored bodybuilding newsletter. Um, so thank you very much for that, Baskar. I have clicked unsubscribe with great prejudice. So <laughs> sorry, do we have to unsubscribe from Baskar's uncensored bodybuilding newsletter? I mean, it's a spam email, so I think unsubscribe just means you get more, doesn't it? But I don't know. No, I. So I. Sorry, I did unsubscribe, and it's Mailchimp, and so he's abusing Mailchimp, and so I clicked unsubscribe and clicked the "We did not sign up to his mailing list" in the hope that his Mailchimp gets limited or something. Hey. Sorry, Baskar. I'm slightly worried about this because I, I am forever unsubscribing from Mailchimp email mailing lists because I didn't sign up to them, and it's not. It, they are legitimate mailing lists where somebody in America believes that their email address is my email address because I have a very common name. Yes, and if you are the American listener listening whose name is Octothorpe Cast, then uh, <laughs> please do stop using our email address. Um, it is not your email address. It's very annoying. So what, what I assume will happen is if, you know, 0.1% of Pascal's subscribers click, I never signed up to this, it'll be fine. If 50% keep saying, I never signed up to this, then, yeah, they might tell him, knock it off. So we'll see. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.